Hello, and welcome to this research-focused podcast from RCVS Knowledge. During these podcasts, we will be covering all aspects of veterinary clinical research, from getting involved in research in practice to discussing published papers and evidence, with particular emphasis on how we can integrate them into our clinical practice. Welcome to this RCVS Knowledge podcast. My name is Sally Everett, and today I'm talking to Matt Rendell about how we can improve the care of rabbits in veterinary practice make best use of the evidence that we have and develop further evidence for the future. Matt is a veterinary nurse and has experience of nursing many species, both in the UK and abroad. He has been a member of BVNA Council and is a VN member of the RCVS Council and chairs the RCVS Veterinary Nurses Council. Welcome Matt, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Sally. Perhaps I can start by asking you about how you think the keeping of pet rabbits is changing. Yeah, I think it's um, it's really evolved quite quickly. Um, we have quite a knowledge base within owners now. Owners know a lot more about the anatomy and physiology of their rabbits. They're much more kind of cued in with their well-being, um, and they're very good at spotting the signs. So that makes them um, a bit of a kind of blessing and a curse because they often come with lots of information and and but they're very very aware of what their rabbits need and they yeah. do understand the the urgency of some of the situations that rabbits find themselves in so yeah and and their husbandry is getting better their nutrition the owners are really up in their game generally obviously there's yeah. there's outliers to that but they the, the care they're getting which means they're living longer which yeah. means we have more geriatric um, issues that we have to look out for as well so yeah I mean I would as a vet work, working in practice I would certainly agree with that I think perhaps though there's a slight divergence you know there's still the people who buy a pet rabbit for their children and don't necessarily know a lot about it although I have to say it's a very long time since I've seen a single rabbit most people aren't have got the message about pairs but not necessarily all of them having the same levels of knowledge yeah about i think there's still a lot of client education stuff we can do for sure yeah. um and i think nurses are really well placed for that and we 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 can kind of fill those knowledge gaps for people and and yeah. kind of manage their expectations if you get to speak to a client before they buy a rabbit often yeah. uh, that's the, the the best point port of call which sometimes we do now yeah so rabbits are now the third most commonly presented species in small animal veterinary practice but i think it's fair to say that they receive far less attention in the veterinary and probably veterinary nursing curriculum um, and the expectations for their veterinary care have historically been rather different to that that we provide for dogs and cats why do you think that is yeah it's a it's a really interesting one i, I think um I think it is a mindset. I think um, they are very different. They're not predators. They're they're this yeah. kind of odd prey species that we have hanging around in our clinics, and yeah. they react to lots of stresses very differently. So their ability to cope with pain is very different. They don't cope with pain at all um, compared to our cats and dogs, um, and they are very very stressy. So they they yeah. really will kind of cause. Um, stress is always a funny term for me, but but being put in situations that they find stressful will cause them to get yeah. disease. 
So, you know, the most common presentation we get other than dental disease is, is gastric stasis. Yeah. And gastric stasis is something that even in veterinary professionals, we just need to change our mindset that it's not a disease in itself. It's a symptom of it's something else. And, yeah. and often with some good um, detective work by the vets and nurses, you can drill down on this and find out and remove that cause. So I had one recently where the rabbit was getting gastric stasis in correlation with the gardener coming and mowing the lawn. And the rabbit yeah. obviously found this incredibly stressful and then just went into to gastric stasis. So I think it is just a kind of change of mindset. We can't, we're very lucky with cats and dogs that we can kind of swap around our knowledge and understanding between those two species, but we, we can't with rabbits. We, we yeah. need to kind of, um, yeah, ch challenge a little bit about their natural behavior, which is, which is interesting. It's a slightly facetious comment, but I spent part of my time working in a small animal and equine practice. And my attitude was always actually that the, the rabbits were much closer to the horses in many ways than yeah, the yeah, dogs no, and I the cats. Yeah, I think that's true. They definitely have that unpredictable unpredictableness yeah. that, that horses have in their, in their response to stressors, for sure. Yeah. But I certainly think that taking on board the idea that gut stasis is often not a disease but a symptom of something else and particularly stress-related causes is is something really important what other things do you think we can do to improve our mindset about how we approach rabbits yeah, in practice I think, I think we just need to remove the um kind of fear factor with them really you know yeah. you you can give them fluids you can put catheters in them they they are yeah. very rewarding cases um but in my experience, what they don't do well with is kind of um, providing basic care. They often need quite um, a bit of intervention to get them through that chronic period of time. And we still aren't really cued in with their pain. We don't we don't seem yeah. to uh, be so aware and kind of sensitized to them being in pain. And that's often because they do strange behaviors. You know, they, they, they don't react like a cat or a dog. They don't kind of show those very very clear behaviors and if you're not used to working with them you, you can very much miss them and yeah. are very very good at hiding being ill um for obvious reasons they don't want to get eaten by predators so um but it's hard yeah. to you, that is a mindset change yeah putting you on the spot but from practical experience do you find that using the pain scales are helpful any of the rabbit pain scales that are available yeah we we use them and i think they are a good building block for um for 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 looking at that pain pain kind of scale yeah. within that individual all i would say is that um i don't think that they're the 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 stopping point um no. i work with lots of vets that are very keen that if it looks painful it probably is even yeah. if the rabbit is not particularly showing signs and I think also response response to giving painkillers is, is yeah. really important to monitor. So we see lots of rabbits with gastric stasis where you kind of have to go through that cascade of different types of opioid and till you get to the one where all of a sudden the rabbit's demeanor completely changes and it starts yeah. to eat and it's kind of um, wandering around and do it, doing more natural behavior. So I think being uh, very observant and also quantifying those observations is really important yeah. as a way of... Um, uh, of picking up on that pain and documenting it as well yeah. because often they, you know having those experiences is really good to share because um the 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 amount of vets and nurses that don't know rabbits pretend to eat 
So like a lot of hoof stock, they will pick up a piece of food and yeah, move it, it around in their mouth and then just drop it on the floor. And, yeah. and the amount of veterinary professionals and, and owners that completely miss that and think that that's them eating. So, and again, yeah. very clever evolutionary behavior from the rabbits, but yeah. uh, confusing for us carers. Yeah. Are there any particular resources you'd particularly recommend that vets and nurses refer to when treating rabbits? Yeah, your I, think, <laughs> I think we're really lucky that we have some great publications now um sadly some of the information on the internet is not particularly useful yeah. um i'm a great fan of the bsava manuals and the rabbit one done by molly varga is excellent and something i refer to all the time um and i think also a, a, a book to have in practice is the carpenter's formulary oh, yeah. um, such a useful kind of reassurance kind of comfort blanket that you can go to it and it's got yeah. very good referenced um medications across the board for rabbits and yeah. and uh, another species to be <laughs> yeah exactly everything yeah so yeah. Uh, they've done a really good job of it and the new the new edition they've even included blood test results and normals yeah. as well and it's only about 50 pounds so yeah um, that to me is a book that i carry around and look in a lot because i think yeah. it allows us to to follow things carefully but I think there's a lot of known unknowns in rabbits and I think yeah. we just need to as vets and nurses just try and publish as much data as we can try and explore even case studies if we do a case and it goes particularly yeah. well they're so useful to to publish yeah and also sometimes it's much harder perhaps to publish the things that don't go well but there's often a lot of learning there and I think people feel a bit unsure about sharing that information but yeah. you can learn a lot from the cases that don't go well as well yeah, yeah, and, you know, reflect on I think, what could be done better um so yeah i think i think you're absolutely right i think publishing failures is important um but i think they don't represent the vast majority of rabbit cases that we we see i would say in the practice i work in now we see probably four or five rabbits a day um, yeah. and they're normally fairly sick by the time they get to us and i would say most of those end up going home we just it is about being proactive and 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 often you need to you can't just manage them conservatively they we we need to yeah be, be proactive we have care bundles for rabbits which work yeah. really well um the 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 treatments for uh gastric stasis is, is a well-trodden well-known path now so we should be able to create a, a, an essentially a, 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 a what we do when we we intervene with those animals so yeah i think all of those things help and I think we need to share those more because care packages are a really nice way of bringing together all the different little yeah. bits of information that we have. Yeah. And, and we also, um, we price point ours as well, which I yeah. think, again, avoids that awkward conversation with owners. The care that you need to provide for rabbits is not cheap. It's not no. basic. It's it's the same as you would for a cat and a dog at that kind of level cost wise. And I think we, we, we make a point of explaining to owners that this is what your first 24 hours of your rabbit was going to cost you. And then, and I think owners really appreciate that. And it takes a little bit of the pressure off the vets and nurses. Um, yeah. We, there are a large percentage of the rabbit community now that are, are insured and very yeah. happy to, to spend funds on their rabbits. We CT rabbits a lot now for dental disease. And owners come to us with that suggestion. You know, we're not having to say, well, actually, this would be the best thing. They're coming yeah. saying, actually, I, I, I've, I've researched, I've looked on uh, forums, I've discussed with lots of people, and actually, I believe CT is the way to go. So I think I think anything we can do to to make it uh, more accessible and perhaps slightly easier for our for our veterinary colleagues, yeah. I think the better. They can be they can be daunting cases if you're not particularly experienced with them. 
And just because I think this is probably one that people in practice really would like to know about is top tips when you've got hospitalized rabbits, because that yeah. is often not very easy in a veterinary practice. If it's yeah. a multi-species practice and you even if it's a separate ward, you've still got barking <laughs> dogs and yeah. noise and activity around. Would you have a couple of top tips for how um, to I think, care um, for Always bring the, 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 the colleague that that rabbit lives yeah. with in with them. That's gold, yeah. in my opinion. It makes so much difference to them mentally and can really improve them. And they keep each other warm and often they yeah. it really, really does make a huge difference. Um, we tend to use our isolation ward when it's empty. We have an exotics yeah. ward as well, um, but we tend to use our isolation ward. It's tucked away and it and it's nice for the rabbits as well. Um, and think think really go into the owners exactly what that rabbit's day looks like. Yeah. Um, it can can cause so many positives for us when we're hospitalising rabbits. So, um, you know, does it drink from a certain type of bottle? Does yeah. it use a certain type of bowl? What type of food does it have? Uh, I always ask owners to bring in a lunchbox with their rabbits. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit cheeky because sometimes it can tell you if the rabbit if rabbit owner's not been telling you the truth because <laughs> yeah. they will tell you that they, they're definitely using the best pellet and they definitely don't feed banana. And then you come in and there's a whole swathe of things. So that's a nice kind of tool. Yeah. But um, obviously when they're sick, that's not the time to be altering their diets. But yeah. things like that are very, very useful. And have ha have an honest conversation with the owners that you don't keep every variety of vegetable and 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 pellet in stock that's absolutely fine who who yeah. would um, and yeah. it only goes off and it oxidizes and becomes rubbish anyway so um so owners are quite understanding about that so we we do our best to try and provide good quality warm environments for the rabbits where it can be as quiet as possible um and accept your compromises so you can you can't always mitigate the noise you can't always get rid of these things but you can you can tick most of the boxes in practice and we often will send them home and get them back the next day as well they, if they're if they're bonded with an individual that comes in with them as well often sending them home overnight is is fine and what do you think are our biggest gaps in our knowledge about looking after rabbits yeah it's um sadly that's an easy one to answer <laughs> Yeah. I think analgesia and and fluid therapy. Um, we 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 shy away from giving them good analgesia. We we we're nervous of opioids. I think we all got taught when the stuff that I got taught earlier in my career is that you you mustn't give opioids to rabbit because it shows slows up all of their gastric motility yeah. and all this kind of things. And um, I think being in agony generally slows them up a lot more than giving yeah. them opioids. So we we do use a lot of opioids now with good success. So I think it is something that I, I would like to encourage all veterinary professionals to try um, and they will see the reward in front of their eyes which is lovely yeah. so often these yeah. rabbits you know even the, the the synthetic opioids will make such a difference to these rabbits so um, and also knowing how to use your non-steroidals they should be twice a day and the dose is very different so yeah all of these things need to be done and we talk a lot about multimodal analgesia in, in cats and dogs now, and it's become the, the you know, the, the byword, really. Yeah. And I think we need to think about it in rabbits as well. We use drugs that perhaps we don't associate um, with, with being analgesics, but just, re, re, you know, re, really good agents are available and are published as well. So I think that's our first one. And I think just, just giving fluids. So um, that people are fearful of giving rabbits um, fluids and that they, people are, there's some previously published papers about how you mustn't ever give a rabbit more than five mils of intravenous fluids, or I don't know what's meant to happen, but the, and these things stick in people's minds so they don't give them yeah. enough fluids. So we, we are 
we're putting catheters in. In my opinion, subcut fluids is fine, but if you can get a catheter in and the owners can afford it, then that, that's good to do as well. And we're really using our pack cell volumes and our, our quick total proteins to see how that fluid therapy is working. And we get good, very good success, but that fluid therapy needs to be um, yeah, fairly aggressive. And what's interesting is we don't put lines on them. We don't connect them up to giving sets. Um, because they they just tend to tangle up in them and pull them out. So we're giving them as nice warm boluses. And again, not having them on a bag means you can give those fluids warmed each time you give them. Um, and I find some vets and nurses that don't like doing intravenous fluids in rabbits is because they've tried to use a given set. Yeah. And they've come in and there's been blood everywhere because it's pulled out. And so I think using that is a is a yeah, is a really good technique. And you can see the response. You can see yeah. those rabbits rehydrate and that that cecum that seems to be incredibly delicate and um, re, re kind of populate with fluids and then feces starts to come through and these animals start to really 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 improve really interestingly and completely unscientific i was talking to a colleague recently about if they've ever seen pulmonary edema in rabbits and i've been giving rabbits fairly aggressive fluid therapy with vets around the world for years and i've never never seen it happen so it'd be really interesting yeah. to see if anybody yeah. has but and they seem to um push that fluid into their hind gut which is actually great because that's where you want yeah, it so i think if you could work on those two things that that would be great i think they 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 really will improve our case case kind of success brilliant thank you very much indeed i think it's important that we continue to develop and use the evidence base around the care of rabbits so that we continue to improve the quality of care we can give them and to offer to the owners and in support of this, at RCVS Knowledge, we've developed what we call a spotlight feature on rabbits, which brings together in one place links to published papers, review articles and guidance, allowing practitioners to evidence all the latest evidence and therefore make evidence-based decisions. The spotlight feature on rabbits can be found on the RCVS Knowledge website, along with spotlight features on a range of other topical and important subjects, which includes one on quality of life, which has the different pain assessment scales for different species, including in there on rabbits. If you have enjoyed this podcast and would like to find out more about veterinary clinical research and evidence in practice, please have a look at the evidence and library sections on our website. For more podcasts from RCVS Knowledge, find us on your favourite podcast platform.